0: Good morning. Merry Christmas. <clears throat> I wanted to take a moment and thank you for the beautiful cards. We get so many cards, and you need to picture Shelly and me looking at your Christmas cards and your families and uh, your children and... Uh, just chatting about what God's done in your life or seeing the blessing of God in your family and that's a really precious thing. I thank you for it. It really brings us a lot of joy and we save my own. I said, surely I think I'll just bring them and hold them up, you know, to let you know. I'm. She said, that's ridiculous. <laughs> just tell them thank you. So my wife is a wise woman. <clears throat> this morning, I want to continue with the The meditation, what child is this? And uh, we're going to look at Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, read verses 1 through 14 together. I'm going to ask us to take our Bibles and turn there and stand with me as we read. In those days, Caesar Augustus He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men, on whom his favor rests. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. You'd think this would get easier, but i get got to level with you. It really gets harder and harder. This is kind of an inside reality for pastors because it gets harder and harder to say something so familiar, so traditional, something that we know so well, That's part of the problem. To get us to hear it as though we've never heard it before. And the other side is, you know, how to do that. It really becomes difficult. Uh, I mean, there are only so many kind of, or at least you'd think there are only so many ways you can can say this in a fresh way. Because we had our wonderful musical worship time last sunday i've had a couple of weeks to to think about luke chapter 2 and the birth of jesus the sign him in a manger and it's only made it worse you you as you you sense you feel the gravity and the dimension and the size and the majesty of what's happening, and it grows with time as you grow in your faith. Even though it's familiar, it can also grow and it becomes more and more profound, especially as you grow. And so I found myself even this, this last way. I went into Pastor Tim's office. I sat down and I said, I, I, "I'm unraveling. You know, I'm I, it's." This is undoing me, as it were. Uh, I don't know exactly what to do. I think, and this is kind of an inside joke between the two. I said, maybe I ought to just wing it. Because that's what he says to me whenever I'm kind of obsessing over saying, just just wing it. You'll be fine. I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to wing it. But I didn't. Because I can't do that. If you know me, I, I don't wing it. I I wanted everything to be perfect. You know, even as I was here, I I noticed that my socks didn't quite match. They're not bad, but (laughs) everything. You want to be perfect because of the power and how profound is this story. It's the heart of Christmas. I got a tweet earlier in the week. I I opened a Twitter account a while back when the Giants were making their run for (laughs) World Series champion because I was following some sports writers and uh, they only are on Twitter. So I ventured into the world of Twitter uh, and now I get some tweets I've only t- I've only tweeted a couple of times in fact one time I just wrote tweet but <laughs> anyway just to see what's out there But aside from some sports writers that I like to follow I also follow people that I admire or look up to because then I get tweets I even even tweets from G.K. Chesterton and C.S. Lewis. They're dead. (laughs) But tweet is just a medium. In that sense, I mean, every book tweets, you know. (laughs) People continue to tweet long after they're gone, and someone's sending out their messages. And then there are some contemporaries, some people that I admire, I know their hearts. I know that they're really devoted unto the Lord, and and so I kind of like to hear what they have to say. They'll give me their perspective on something. And and, uh, Bill Hybels tweeted this He's the pastor of of a very large church in Barrington, Illinois, Willow Creek Community Church, and he tweeted this the miracle of the incarnation has brought me to my knees in new ways this year. Anybody else getting undone this Christmas? And and as soon as I read that, I said, Yeah, that's me. I thought, wow, just seconds ago, probably in Illinois, I don't know where, maybe in his dining room, who knows where he was, but he tweeted this and I picked it up and I thought, wow, that just kind of touches my heart because I just don't know how to draw people into this the way I believe we should be drawn into this story. And the more I think about it, the more I try to plumb its depth to fathom the power of what has happened, how historic it is. It truly unravels me. And then when I add to the fact that somehow I, who, me, on this Sunday, Christmas Sunday, have to come and somehow draw you in. I mean, it really is... An overwhelming sense of, I'm not qualified. I don't have the means. I worked and worked and worked. Um, I wanted to compose something eloquent and beautiful. I wrote some things that even brought a tear to my eye. And a few things that made me laugh. But in the end, nothing seems to say it all. Nothing seems to say enough. Nothing matches the power of what God has done in the birth of Jesus Christ. And I wrestle with how to draw us in. I mean, the real story is all about, and it's right here, Generosity, humility, and love in an event, in a child. And it represents the very heart of Christmas, the very heart of God. I mean, generosity, humility, and love are embodied in the birth of Jesus Christ. It's not as though they're created or born. God, as we've even seen when we look back to Isaiah chapter nine, and the prophetic word of Jesus' birth, we know that generosity, humility, and love are a part of the very fabric of our God. I mean, before the earth was formed, this plan, at the center of it. At the apex of it. God in the secret council and intimate place of his own heart and will knew that Jesus Christ was to become. And he embodies generosity, humility, and love. God has always had these defining qualities. It's a part of the majesty and goodness of God in creating. But I thought, that's all there. How do I get us to truly appreciate this? And I thought about talking something about the sentiments and the tradition and the beauty that each one of us has experienced, even this Christmas or at other Christmases. I mean, each of us knows that tradition. When I just start to think about Christmas, I mean, candle lights, bright lights on houses, crackling fireplaces, the scent of pine needles, bright glitter and wrapped packages, smiles on people's faces. Cheery cheeks, you know, rosy cheeks with joy and laughter and all of those beautiful things. And and then I begin to think about the songs and the stories and the movies. I mean, some of you have been on Facebook. I've been picking up these messages. You're saying something like, cuddled up with my honey watching our favorite Christmas movie. But when you think of those songs, stories, and movies, they too they you know they elevate they bring to even a higher appreciation generosity humility and love it's the very stuff of the heart of christmas and it finds its way into our favorite stories and it touches our heart because it comes from the heart of somebody who has been touched deeply by generosity, humility, and love. And it is put into story form, or it becomes an expression of a song, or finds its way into a movie, and it touches us. And it embodies the very heart of Christmas, and I wanted to, you know, give some excerpts and maybe a clip or two or a quote or, you know, condense a story and then say to us, this all goes back to the heart of Christmas. It goes back to Bethlehem. It goes back to a manger. It goes back to a child that embodies this that becomes to epitomize generosity, humility, and love. I thought that would draw us in. I also wanted to talk about the fact that Christmas is sometimes sad. It seems that every one of us, no matter how many Christmases we've enjoyed, we could probably pick out one or, sadly, maybe even more, where there's been a Christmas that hasn't been the Christmas we expected because someone was missing, someone was not at the table, someone didn't bring a present, someone wasn't there to open a present. I wanted to talk about the fact that there is sadness associated with Christmas. I wanted to talk a little about Newtown. It's on our minds and hearts. And I also wanted us to realize that generosity humility and love is why we miss that person why uh, the loss of a person touches us so deeply why newtown touches us so deeply because we have the experience we ourselves have been touched by something higher and nobler and more beautiful generosity humility and love In fact, the very heart of Christmas that writes those songs and writes those stories is the very same heart that mourns when there is not generosity, when there is not humility, and when there is not love. These are profound ideals. They are ideas that move and engage, draw, encourage, inspire. I went to Brian's office. I sat down and I said, man, I I just want to talk about the power of these ideas. Do you realize Ideas, even if they arise within the ingenuity of a human heart, it is that idea that moves people. In fact, it is ideas that were the seeds that started civilization and express our highest, not only aspirations, but accomplishments. And there's no greater idea than the idea at the heart of Christmas. But the power of that idea, the idea that is even more profound is that it is not just an idea. It is an ideal and it's not just an ideal. It is actually the flesh and blood of God's heart in Jesus Christ. These are not just Aspirations and ideals, they become human in Jesus Christ. The things that are, the fabric and essence of God become real to us, accessible to us, down to earth to us in Jesus Christ, in that lowly manger. And of course, I wanted to talk about the story of Christmas. I mean, it's the story of generosity. That's the surprise. I mean, everywhere in this story, even in other parts of the stories, it's contained in Matthew, for example, but everywhere in this story, there's surprise. Mary, hail, favored one. That's Favor is generosity, and there's surprise. Sometimes that surprise is almost... Fear, because this is so unexpected. This is not what we in any sense thought we had coming. I mean, it's not like when you work, you get a paycheck, you expect to be paid. You're waiting for it. But generosity, you never see that coming. You have nothing to do with it. It always comes from the heart of another. It's always a surprise. And God, in Jesus Christ, and his birth favors and surprises. That's what favor means. It's not just a favor. It is the favor of God. And, of course, our eyes are drawn to Mary. And then our eyes are drawn to the shepherds. But what is the message to Mary? And what is the message to the shepherds? Peace on earth. God's favor to all. I know it says men, but that word means all. All. All human beings, all people. That's the power of this gospel message. And who does it come to? Well, it comes to Mary, a peasant girl. It comes to shepherds. These are people without class or status. And that's the nature of generosity. Generosity. It goes to the little people. It goes to others. And I wanted to talk about the fact that the little people includes us. The lowly people includes us. I mean, when you think about it, it's not just about little and lowly people, it's all people. That's what verse 14 says. And it reminds us that God's generosity, humility, love are for all. Nobody's beyond, beneath, or outside of the heart of God. Little people, the people who are moved and inspired by generosity, humility, and the love that we experience in God, that is the heart of Christmas. That is what makes Christmas what it is. I got a, a real-life Christmas story just on Monday, uh, a story about an angel. An angel. Uh, Larry Pruitt. You, Larry was at uh, Los Angeles International Airport. I I, I didn't ask Larry's permission. I know he's sitting right over there. I usually always ask permission, but Larry's an angel, so I know he won't mind. But he was at uh, Los Angeles International Airport. And there in the middle of the airport was a middle-aged woman, a a, a woman of a different color, a a different race, even maybe a different age. To me, middle-aged is... I don't know, it's when you get older, and she was older, and Larry noticed her, noticed her need, noticed she was lost, that she needed to get to her gate, and so he stopped what he was doing, left what he was doing, and saw her, escorted her to her gate, and on the way, They got acquainted, and she divulged to Larry that she had prayed that God would send an angel to help her. And it looked like Larry. (laughs) That's surprise. That's favor. But you know, Larry was that messenger. That's what angel means if you read... uh, The gospels, of course, angel means messenger as well as a heavenly messenger of God. But in other kinds of stories that aren't necessarily religious in nature, angels refer to human messengers, runners from the battlefield, everyday kind of messengers, and God still uses messengers when they beat with the heartbeat of God. Do you know the rest of the story of this woman that Larry helped and whom she confided was God's messenger to help her? And they prayed and they shared. They realized they both had the same faith and the same heart in Christ. Do you know the rest of the story? I don't either. I don't know what happened. She got on that plane, went to her daughter. But you see, there are little people, little things that are changed because of the heart of Christmas, because of generosity, humility, and love. And it does make a difference. We don't always see it. But there are stories at Christmas time, stories that you love. This story is one of them. And they have power to touch your heart because they resonate with the very heart of God, the very heart of Christmas, of generosity, humility, and love. And those stories are written by generosity, humility, and love. And those stories, they're happy endings. They're different endings. The endings that they have are the endings that we want because of little moments when people were gripped or expressed the heart of Christmas. We're supposed to be a part of this story. And that is a powerful thing. Do you know that there are people at our church today who are big people? You know, not, not in size, in stature, in the class. At least I know they are. There are. Here's how I measure that. There are other people who look to them for leadership. People who look up to them. There are people who own businesses in our midst. There are people who are captains of industry right here in our midst. And you know how you'll meet them? They're ushering. Or they're on their knees with a two-year-old child. Because they've been touched, not just by the ideas, but by the author of generosity, humility, and love. That's the heart of Christmas. It's the story of his generosity, and that's the surprise. But it's the story of his humility, and that's the sign in verse 12, the shepherds are said, this will be a sign. It's not just a child. It's not just cloths. It's in a manger. I mean, you don't expect that. And the what helps to backlight the glory of that is the fact that they're there, and that's because of Caesar Augustus, and Quirinius, and Herod, and, and then on the other hand, there's angels and glory, and then there's this manger. I mean, it gives it dimension. It helps us to see it as the jewel that it really is. That's the sign, the humility of God, and I thought, how do we fathom that? I read Revelation chapter 4 and 5 this last week, thinking, oh, maybe we should read Revelation 4 and 5. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you'll get a chance to read it. But John the seer is, is drawn into heaven. And it is majesty. I mean, it, it really expands your mind. It, it just... To see the expanse, the sea and the sea is not water but it's like topaz and there are throngs throngs of people and throngs of angelic beings and it is just so out of this world and God, you don't even see him. His glory is so great. He is on his highest throne and they are worshiping him and worshiping him. And then you get into the fifth chapter and there's this scroll, but no one's worthy to open the scroll. And they're asking who is worthy because everything rests on the worthiness of someone to open that scroll. And The Lamb comes forward. Jesus comes forward. And this is what they say in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 5. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. The Lamb. Who is worthy? He who was slain. I went to Philippians chapter 2, and we remember that. Paul says, He who was equal with God did not think equality a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, becoming human, a slave, a servant, obedient, which is a quality of a good slave or servant, obedient unto the cross. And then it says, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I thought, why will they bow and confess Jesus is Lord? Is it because they'll become aware that he was God? Or will they become aware? Will we become aware? Will you become aware? Will I become aware that he is not only God, but that he has gotten lower than anyone else? That's why they'll bow. That's why they'll confess. Not just that He's God, but He is God that has gotten low, lower than anyone else, and that will command. In fact, out of a sense of the majesty and glory of God Almighty getting down and low, they will bow they will bow. There's no cross, you see, without such humility. Did you read in the news that Queen Elizabeth, the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth has invited the parents of Cape Middleton to their private residence for Christmas. Had you read that? You haven't heard that? But you, you don't seem to understand that being invited to the Queen's residence for Christmas has never been done before. It's unprecedented. Unprecedented. In fact, you probably didn't know this, but the queen invites no one to enjoy their presence at Christmas unless they are the immediate family, not even cousins. And now they have reached beyond. They have gone to lengths of incredible lowliness and humility to invite the parents of Kate Middleton to be present with them at Christmas. I know I sound a little facetious, but I wanted it to show us, to show us the humility of God. The queen who's been queen 50 years has never invited anybody but her closest family to Christmas. And God began Christmas. He's the heart of Christmas. Because he got lower than anyone else. And how do I know that? Because nobody's higher. Nobody's bigger. He went farther. He went deeper. He went longer than anyone else. And even to the cross. And that's what we see in the manger. It's amazing. It's stunning. It's breathtaking. I was out shopping yesterday. I was driving in Christmas traffic. And I tried to humble myself in Christmas traffic. And I found it's not my nature. but it's God's nature. You see, generosity, humility, and love not only mourn at loss, it transforms. It changes. It affects us. Especially when we grasp the reality of it. And that's what we grasp in the true story of Christmas. It's the story of His love, and that's the inspiration. Inspiration motivates. Inspiration changes. If it doesn't change, it's not inspiring. It's not moving. It doesn't affect us. Notice this doesn't anywhere in Luke 2, 1 through 12 mention love. I didn't miss that. But you see, wherever there is generosity and humility, there's love. Love's behind it. You notice in verse fourteen, we often I, I, I focused on the favor that is brought out because there is surprise everywhere in this story, and 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 that's a that's a great expression of God's favor. But you notice it says peace among men on earth. Peace is the concept of shalom. Shalom is a beautiful concept. In fact, when the Messiah comes, ask a serious Jewish believer today and they'll tell you he he's going to establish shalom. Peace. But when we think of peace, we could think of just the cessation of trouble or somebody going away and not bugging us anymore. But shalom has to do with oneness. Oneness. an Equality. In fact Paul says it best in Ephesians Ephesians chapter 2 verses verse 14 Jesus himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility How did he do that? How did he do that? Well, we think of it in, in terms of, of bookkeeping, of course, but it is in this expression of love that is willing to go to any length that it makes us equal in a way. It creates a transaction of the heart. Paul is the one who really talks about this a lot, but he lived it out himself. Paul was in jail, he was in prison. He wasn't even free. And a slave, his slave was named Onesimus. He he had a master that Paul knew, named Philemon. And this slave made his way to Paul, and he meant so much to Paul. He was such an encouragement. He grew to love this, this slave, Onesimus. And at one point he said, Onesimus, you've got to go back. You've got to go back to Philemon. But he wrote a letter and he said, I want you to take this letter with you and I want you to give it to Philemon. So he took it to Philemon. And we have that letter in our New Testament. And in that letter, Paul says, Philemon, you call me an equal. This is in 17, 18, and 19. He says, if I'm your equal, he says, I want you to do something for me. I, first of all, am going to pay for everything that Onesimus owes you. I'm going to compensate you. I am going to, I, it's going to be charged to my account. Whatever he owes you, I will pay. And then in turn, he says, Philemon, if we're equals, treat onesimus like you would treat me in fact even though he was an apostle and in many ways philemon owed him more because of what paul had done for him paul just said treat the slave as you would treat me that's the gospel but you know why it happens it happens because god is humble and you know why he's humble it's because of love he'll go to that length when uh, this I love, I love i really like to read i, I kind of miss the the warmer longer days because i would come home and i would spend an hour and a half or so reading and i read a book that would just transport me i mean it would just elevate me and yeah, maybe you read books like that you read a a book about jesus or the gospel or a person who embodies that um And it just transports you. So you know what I'm talking about, if you're watching the football game, you're in to the football game. Or, especially the ladies, I notice, they'll be watching a movie, and men, they got tears rolling down their cheeks. They are in to that movie. They are part of the story. Well, I'm reading this book, and I am part of the story. In fact, there are these moments where I become self-conscious, and I think, man, it's just a beautiful thing what God is doing in my life because I so resonate with this. I so, this so moves me. It brings a tear to my eye. And then Shelly walks out. She maybe just got home or she decided to come from inside the house. And she'll say something like this. John, you won't believe what just happened. And I am... I I can't even, I don't even know how to talk to her at that moment. I mean, some of you know what I'm talking about. You're just so engrossed in that. It's like, I don't even know how to bridge my way to where you're at. You have just come from a different world. A different reality. And I'm over here. And you know what I want to do? I want to pull her in. I want her to come into my world. I want to make her my equal in love. But do you know how to make an equal of love? Well, for me, it's been symbolized by just, sometimes you just got to close the book The book of love. The book about love. The book that elevates love. And you do love. And love is humble. It goes to where the loved one is. Arrogance is selfish. Power is selfish. It coerces. It manipulates because it's all about me. But love goes. And you shut the book. And you go to where your loved one is. That's what God did with you and me. That's the heart of the gospel. And when it gets there, because it's humble, it's generous, and it's surprising because it's come there to bless and to do good. That's what we have in Jesus Christ. That's the heart of the Christmas story. And we're to be drawn into this because, in effect, we're about to shut the book Will you stand with me? He said, is anybody else undone out there? (laughs) I've been thinking about that word undone. You know, in so many ways in our life, we start becoming, you know, I'm done with that. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And I thought undone. I am becoming undone. I'm going to become a doer of generosity, humility, and love. Don't be undone. Embody the heart of Christmas. I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, if this morning God has touched your heart, with his story, maybe not my version, but his story. you'd like to know more about how Jesus Christ can become a part of your life and pull you into his story. We'll be down here. I, the pastoral staff, elders, wives of elders, if you'd like to pray or know more about that. Maybe you want to pray with one of us because God has touched your heart in some way. The heart of Christmas has touched your heart in some way and you've been moved and you want to do something about it. You'd like to pray about it or you'd like to consecrate that unto the Lord. We want to pray with you. Maybe you want to pray for someone else. God has put someone on your heart because of the heart of love. Because you're not all about yourself. And you care about them. Maybe they're sick or lonely or hurting. And you want to pray for them. We invite you to come. Whatever it is. You don't have to go to unknown heights to find God. He's come to us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. For your humility. For your generosity. Thank you for Jesus Christ. We are inspired. We move in your strength and power in these very realities that are ours through faith. And we give you praise that we are a part of your story. And it is in Jesus' precious name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Merry Christmas.